Welcome back in Priority Talk Radio. Greg Davis here with you, and uh, we are uh, rocking light along today. We've got a special guest with us here on the program. And, of course, uh, find uh, these conversations like the one we're about to have. You can find it later at PriorityTalkRadio.com. But we appreciate you guys listening to 101.1 WXJC Radio. And uh, we are uh, real thrilled to talk about, by grace alone, a heartfelt word for those seeking salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, we welcome in Mr. Craig Ireland, uh, which, Craig, tell me now, you're, you're up in New York. Is that correct? Pastor in New York? Yeah, well, I, I previously was uh, okay. for a few years, but just the last few months, my family and I have relocated back to Australia. So I'm calling you 6 a.m. Tuesday morning in Australia, and uh, just glad to be with you today, Greg. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, thank you. And that's what I was wondering, if you were still there. I knew, I knew you were. Um, so uh, Austra- how long were you in the state? You're from Australia. Obviously, we pick up on that. But how long were you yes, in the states? Right. Uh, t- t- tell us about your time here. Yeah, my family and I first relocated out uh, about six years ago, actually, to East Texas. We served there in a revitalization project. Um, I've been in pastoral ministry now for over 20 years, so that's taken on different um, complexions depending on where I've been. I've done church planting and different things. And uh, around 2021, we moved to upstate New York in Rochester and served there for a couple of years, uh, just as, you know, serving lead pastor of a local church. Really enjoyed our time there, but... It certainly came obvious at a, at a certain point that uh, the Lord was moving us back to Australia. We've just actually commenced a brand new church plant here. So if any of the listeners feel so obliged, we'd love to have their prayers and, and uh, just uh, ask God's blessing upon this brand new work. Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. I thought there for a second you may ask us to, to come and visit sometime. And I was thinking well, that's, that's a little bit oh, of we'll a... Oh, we'll do that too, yeah. <laughs> that's a little <laughs> bit of a trip. Uh, well, I love what you've done here. Um, you've taken a... Um, a Charles Spurgeon work, and you've revised it. Uh, t- tell us what you've done here by grace alone. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's right. So the original Charles Spurgeon work was um, called All of Grace, uh, and it's a great title. It was very hard to come up with a, a new title, but that was that was the challenge, you know, everywhere throughout this particular project was to try and retain as much of Charles Spurgeon's brilliant logic. And Charles Spurgeon was also quite a wordsmith, so... The challenge with this resource was, uh, you know, the the desire was to make sure people felt like they were still reading Spurgeon, but that eighteen, you know, eighteen hundreds kind of Victorian English is now getting quite dated. People, people are a little less educated these days than maybe our parents, grandparents, yeah. and great grandparents were, and so reading comprehension is not quite what it has been in previous generations. And you know, language is fluid as language continues to evolve. Here in twenty twenty three, the average English speaker would find. Spurgeon fairly unapproachable, and so I felt like that really was an injustice that needs to be righted, that is to say, to bring Charles Spurgeon into a, you know, just kind of a new audience, a new lease on life, and so I have to tell you, Greg, the greatest compliment I've got from people that have read this book is they've turned around and said to me, Craig, did you do much revision at all? It, it, it reads so much like you feel like you're reading the original and then I, of course, readily confess to them that just about every sentence in the book has been modified in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that really is the challenge of, of doing a revision work, is to, is to try and keep Spurgeon in his own, kind of his own cadence, his own verbiage, 
and yet still try and update enough that the, the book is a wonderful resource that people of any level of reading comprehension should should be able to, to read. And so that's really been the desire here. The book is a really simple gospel presentation. Uh, I would say that Charles Spurgeon is among very few people who ever used the English language in his crystal clear and just his precise ability to communicate the grace of God. And so I think that's really been the, the desire of this project, is to bring it into a, a brand new audience and to kind of just give it to people and ask them to read it so that they can understand God's grace. And also I know they're reading a little bit of history as well, which is always a, a good thing. Well, certainly. Yeah, and any of us who have ever tried to go back and read some of people like Spurgeon's work, I mean, it, it's, it's a blessed thing to do, but it is, for, for us, it is a... It is a cumbersome read, and uh, so when I saw what you had done yeah. with this, I thought this this is really wonderful. And I agree with you; it it's very readable. Hey, I'm reading it, so um, you know uh, that tells right. us anything right. we need to know uh, th- that I'm enjoying yeah. it. And so I'm just interested in the process. Did did you go sort of line by line? Did, I, having not read all of Grace by by Spurgeon, uh, was was it laid out mm. the same way? Were the the headings the same and the chapters and, and those things. T- tell me more about the process. Yeah, I, the, the general structure of the book, uh, the contents page, and as you said, the the pagination, as they call it, is mm-hmm. ostensibly retained. It really, it's really not laid out any different. I think that's one of the brilliance of uh, of the genius of Spurgeon is the way he's able to move through themes of grace and themes of God's love and God's mercy toward you know us who are all undeserving. But we found ourselves to be the the objects of God's tremendous, indescribable grace. Um, so I've tried to retain that as much as as I have. And you know, initially, what the project was was I would just go kind of page by page. I tried to have really broad strokes to begin with, and I would mark on every page maybe an idiom, a metaphor, a word that I thought was a little outdated that could be that could be you know maybe a, maybe a modern version could be substituted. And so originally working broadly like that then i would have to go back to the original and check every change i made to make sure i'm uh, it's still making sense you know it still sounds like spurgeon it's still it's still clear and and true of course that's the the ultimate goal is to be is to be faithful to scripture and so having done that in kind of a broad way page by page then eventually double triple checking my work with the original i then did go line by line one of the final reviews was to just you know literally go word by word and ensure that I've chosen the best word that still sounds like it's Spurgeon and still has and conveys all of his thought, but is a word that's not unapproachable, a word that's not cumbersome. It's not a word you're going to have to stop at and grab a dictionary or, or you know jump on your phone and, and Google a particular definition. Now, that's not going to be true for every word because I can't anticipate the reading comprehension of every reader. And so someone out there listening is going to grab a copy and, well, this guy promised me I'd never need to consult the dictionary. I'm obviously, you know, I'm not omniscient, right. of no. course, but um, the objective here really was to make sure that even someone at a, maybe a seventh grade reading level, and this is the most important part, Greg, they haven't been in Christian church all their lives. So Christianese and some of the verbiage that we just, you know, Christians can sometimes take for granted. My goal was to try and reduce those as much as possible so that people could purchase this book and give it to an unbelieving family, friend, neighbor, work colleague, and and expect that they're going to be able to understand the basic concepts without having to, you know, get an undergraduate degree in Bible or something like that. That's really been the objective here as well, is to have a missional thrust to the project. Well, I think what you've done is you, you've taken a message that from way back, a long time ago, resonated with people, 
and uh, and you've updated it so it can continue to to, to lead people to, to to Christ and and to place to understand grace alone uh, through faith salvation and um, do, do you find that like you said even unchurched people are, are are they picking this up does the name Spurgeon still resonate with people to go oh I've heard that name what would that guy have to say uh, you know who, who's reading yeah. the book are, are people coming to faith through it. Yes, yeah, people are coming to faith through it. I, I will say that Spurgeon's name, you know, in, in a secular context, is, is all but forgotten. Mm, okay. um, that wasn't true, of course, in his era. You know, his, he was a, a man that regularly had audience with the Prime Minister of England. He, you know, he, he met Queen Victoria of his own age. Um, he was well and truly known. You know, Spurgeon was, uh, you could maybe even say notorious for having his sermons published in, in English print newspapers globally, India, mm-hmm. Australia, Singapore, you know, places like that, especially the U.S., Canada, and, of course, the U.K. So he was a household name in his day, and, you know, the accounts of people coming to faith through his gospel ministry were, were very inspiring. People want to go back and read some of these stories of a, of a housewife that goes to the local market and purchases a pound of butter, and they would always, in those days, wrap the butter in newspaper, um, old newspapers, and so she, un, you know, unwraps the butter, and there's a Spurgeon sermon just... Of course, we would say coincidentally, but by the providence of God, was the exact page that had wrapped her butter, and she reads it and, and comes to faith. Those, those stories are, are very much um, part of Spurgeon's life, weekly, monthly. Those, those accounts are, are common. I would say today Spurgeon's name is all but forgotten. In, mm. in a secular world, probably yeah. in the church world, we still see some people read his material, and they love his devotional morning and evening and different resources. Um, but, yeah, my objective here was to try and prepare this resource such that anyone reading it doesn't need to have a basic introduction to Spurgeon. Now, I've written a small preface. You would have seen that in the first few pages of the book, yes. just giving people a bit of a sense of who Spurgeon was. But even with that, I had to really resist the urge to not write a 30-page you know, essay paper on the life of Spurgeon. I'm such a, a devotee to the life of Spurgeon. I've been an historian. I'm doing doctoral work on his ministry philosophy. So I had to resist the temptation to not just make this book a celebration of Spurgeon, when it really is a celebration of God and His grace in the Gospel. And so I am pleased to report that people have been purchasing copies of this and distributing to unbelievers in their, their family and their home, and people have been coming to faith. I just A local church here in Australia told me a story recently of a young man that gave a copy to a, a, a college buddy of his, and that man got baptized just this last Sunday. So praising God for stories like mm-hmm. that, that really is its worth more than whatever royalties roll in, whatever people read the book and say, well, well done, Craig, pats on the back from me. Those things are so superficial in contrast with seeing God powerfully use his gospel, as God is desirous of doing, to change lives. That's what this is truly all about. Craig Ireland is our guest. Uh, he calls us from Australia. Uh, and Craig, I got—I know listeners are wondering—is uh, there an audio version of the book that you've read? Because I sure would like to listen to you read the book. I have to apologize. I'm—I'm <laughs> not a—I'm not an uh, audio book reader. I am oh. an audio book consumer. I, I do love an audio book, uh, but this particular book by Grace Alone is available in the Audible bookstore. I believe that's uh, run by Amazon these okay. days. Okay. And um, my publisher gave me a, a long list of, of, um, of readers to, to choose from, and I chose the most British-sounding reader I could find because I felt like that was so yeah. appropriate for, for Charles Spurgeon. For Spurgeon. So I can assure you, although it's not my voice and my accent, um, 
it's going to be a, it's going to be a really interesting and, and compelling uh, listen for those that want to go ahead and grab the the audio book. Well, that does make sense to to go with the British. Uh, that 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 lines up a mm-hmm. lot better. Craig Ireland is our, is our guest. It's by Grace Alone, a revision of the 19th century classic by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, All of Grace. Let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side and get into more of a uh, sort of some of the theology of this uh, of Spurgeon and uh, and that Craig has uh, sort of been able to bring more to a contemporized uh, audience. So uh, let's continue with that on the other side. Stay tuned. And we return and continue our conversation with Mr. Craig Ireland. Won't be too long. We'll be calling him uh, Dr. Ireland as he's finishing up his uh, his Ph.D. right now. Uh, he's in uh, Australia with his wife Katrina, four children. He uh, did some church revitalization work here in the States, church planter. And uh, he has written, uh, or revised really, not really written, but uh, revised this uh, book, All of Grace from the 19th Century by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He calls it By Grace Alone. And it's uh, for those seeking salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful cover. It's an orange, uh, sort of a sunset with uh, crosses. If you uh, see the book, you'll recognize it. And uh, I think you'll want to get a copy of it. Uh, Craig, before we get more into it, where, where, where do you prefer people to get the book? Is it just Amazon, or is there, do you have a specific website you want to send people to? Yeah, I think that, you know, these days, probably most of our lives orbit around this behemoth that is Amazon. I know that's true for, yeah. for, for, uh, for me. As much as I'd like to resist it, I think that Amazon's the best. The publisher has, has a bookstore on their website, but uh, I think wherever good books are sold, they're going to be able to find this resource. Okay, and look, and it's a, it's a small, short, it's a simple book. I mean, this isn't a heavy read, but it's a powerful read. Uh, let's get into some of Spurgeon's um, theology. Uh, which which is a, a deep well to drink from. Um, th- obviously, the name of his book was All of Grace. Just just take off from right there. Talk about Spurgeon and grace. Yeah, I think this was, for Spurgeon, one of the, the greatest and, and most imperative correctives of his day was to just restore that, that clear and central message of the gospel is about God's grace. I think there's a natural human propensity to... To start to believe that we've merited something from God, or we've been good enough, or we've worked hard enough, and the flip side of that coin is to feel like we've disqualified ourselves for maybe not being good enough, or, or not working hard enough. And so I think for Spurgeon, this is really the essence of the gospel message, is our lack of qualification. That is, you know, me and all sinners that are living and breathing today, and of course also those in the 19th century, our lack of qualification, or our lack of ability to merit anything positive before God literally is our qualification according to the gospel of God's grace. So this echoes the words of Jesus, who said he hasn't come to call the righteous to repentance, in much the same way that a doctor doesn't seek out the well to treat with his medicine, but Jesus has come to seek sinners and and the unrighteous, which, of course, if we can can arrive at that place of self-awareness and just understanding of our our unrighteousness, our fallenness, our estrangement from God, Spurgeon would say that's the starting place of the good news of the gospel. In fact, he, quite, quite, in a quite cheeky manner, there's this hymn that Spurgeon quotes in one of the, uh, one of the early chapters of the book that says that a, a sinner is a sacred thing, the Holy Spirit makes him so, and, and, and Spurgeon wants to be provocative. He's trying to, he's trying to help us realize that although our sin constantly, you know, constantly fills us with a sense of shame and, and frustration, and there's nothing inappropriate about that at all. Our sin should be something shameful to us, but in God's eyes, it is the very thing that makes us candidates for His grace. He hasn't come, God has not sent Christ 
to look for the overly religious, the the perfectly righteous, the law-abiding, the law-keeping, the the rigidly pious. God has sent Jesus to look for the worst and the least and the, the most impious. And if we can, like I said, if we can have a moment of clarity and lucidness and realize that's our current state, all of us, then we are the true recipients of, of God's grace. And I think not just in Victorian England for Charles Spurgeon, but you know, I see this today. I've been in vocational ministry for over 20 years, and I just keep seeing this constant encroachment of legalism, of self-righteousness, of, of people. On the one hand, like I said, they, they believe they either are good enough, there's this overinflated sense of their achievement, and, and, and God's doing well to, you know, to choose them for a relationship, or probably what is just as common is people feeling like they've somehow they've somehow put themselves outside of contention for God's goodness and God's grace. And this is the message of Jesus. Uh, this is the message of Spurgeon. And this is the important message of this book, that our fallenness and wretchedness is the single qualification that God looks for in those that he will lavish his grace upon. Wow. Very good. Craig Ireland is our guest. It's by Grace Alone, a revision of Spurgeon's All of Grace. And, of course, all this talk of grace, uh, many people will, will quickly think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, for you're saved by grace through faith. Uh, how did Spurgeon, mm. uh, how did he reconcile those two together? We talked about grace. Now let, let's put faith with it and tell us how Spurgeon and, and you in this book, uh, how, how did you bring those two together? Yeah, and this is, I would say, this is really where Spurgeon is at his best, is his ability to, his ability to convey this with so many wonderful uh, analogies and illusions and metaphors and idioms. Spurgeon is just brilliant at looking at the natural world and then communicating how this mechanism of salvation that God has instituted, that is His grace, our faith, combine in a powerful way to result in salvation. Of course, as you quoted in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it is by grace that, that we are saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. This is, this is the gift of God. This is the result of God's goodness and mercy and His love and compassion. And so what Spurgeon does is he demonstrates, and this is a tremendously important point, he demonstrates that faith is the simplest of all things, because sometimes we just kind of imbibe this overly religious idea of what faith is. We have this convoluted, bizarre idea that faith is some level of achievement. And Spurgeon says that's not true at all. Spurgeon says the amount of faith that took you to sit in the chair you're sitting in right now, the amount of faith that took you to get up out of a chair and walk across a room and believe that gravity still exists and oxygen still exists, Spurgeon says in the simplest acts of life, like the very next breath that we're all going to inhale, there's an element of trust, there's an element of faith and anticipation of goodness and a positive result. And this is what makes Spurgeon, as I said, so unique is in, in his ability to help us to comprehend very, very complex theological topics. You know, the tomes that are written on the nature of saving faith would fill any library. But Spurgeon just, you know, you said this earlier, Greg, it's a small book. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be intimidating, but it just brilliantly helps us understand that the natural act of trusting in God and taking a step of faith, not a blind leap, but a step of faith, because God has revealed Himself. God has revealed what salvation is. God has revealed what is required upon us, that is to humble our hearts and receive His message. And Spurgeon does a great job of showing that this is the mechanism that God has established, because faith is a receiving instrument, Spurgeon would say. Spurgeon would say, faith is like the ear. You know, the ear just receives sound. The ear doesn't contribute to the sound that it hears. Or faith, Spurgeon would say, faith is like the, 
the beggar's hand as he reaches out and receives the, the morsel of bread from, yes. from whoever's trying to denote, uh, donate. And Spurgeon says the hand doesn't contribute anything to the bread, but there needs to be an agent of receiving, and that's what faith is. And so sometimes when we talk about faith in the Christian life, we kind of backdoor works into it. We talk about faith in such a way that we almost imply it's a doing, it's a, it's a, it's a labor, it's, it's a law-keeping. And Spurgeon says we need to restore this message that faith is merely receiving. Trusting God is who He says He is, He's done what He said He's going to do, and His promises are sure in Christ. And that's what makes Spurgeon so brilliant. And what makes this resource such a necessary read for so many Christians? Well, many of those uh, illustrations of faith, are, those have become just classic illustrations that many people use. And, and I don't know that they we yeah. always realize exactly uh, where they came from. Uh, but he was brilliant right, yeah. in his, uh, in his uh, explanations and illustrations. But he wasn't soft. He, uh, he, he, talked, about, he talked a lot about repentance as well. What, what, tell us what he said. Mm. That's right, yeah. And this is one of the, the great things about Charles Spurgeon is as much as his emphasis on grace, God's goodness, and benevolence, Spurgeon doesn't allow that message. Maybe we've seen this happen a lot in recent decades, but Spurgeon does not allow that message of God's goodness to erode any sense of God's holiness and God's justice. And I think that's probably something we don't do as well at in our day and age today as what maybe Victorian Christians would have had a sense of that God's sovereignty is, uh, is peerless and unchallengeable, and God's glory is beyond any human ability to depict or describe or define. And what Spurgeon wants us to understand is that the faith that, that God calls upon us to have, this faith that God, by His Spirit, grants us in our ability to trust in Jesus, is a fruit-bearing faith. And this is, this is, again, we could go back to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the logic of the Apostle Paul in his own discussion of the Gospel, saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, lest there's any boasting, for it's God's, God's gift, God's, God's granting. But we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Amen. verse 10 says, for good works. And so it's not that the good works save you. They're never the root of your salvation, but they are the fruit of true faith. Because once we have an, a genuine apprehension of our wretchedness, and we have a true appreciation for God's goodness and the work that He has done in Jesus as Jesus lived sin-free, because we fail to do that. Jesus died on the cross as a perfect substitute, and Jesus rose from the grave to redeem all and any who would merely trust in him. That message is a message that compels us to a life of, you know, the, the theological word is repentance, but yes. really all that word means is it's a life that wants to honor God. It's a life that wants to show gratitude for all that God has done for us. So it's not a, it's not a new form of legalism. It's not, a, it's not a kind of a backdoor way of making people, you know, comply with a certain rigid set of rules. It's simply saying, if God has done this for you freely out of His goodness, what should your response to that be? Well, not just to believe the message, but then to demonstrate your appreciation through a life of, of seeking to emulate Christ and seeking to be godly in all that we say and do. Well, amen. I've got two more questions for you, so we'll have to hit them a little quick. Um, but all right, we, right. we've got to mention perseverance. So, uh, And then I want to yes. talk to you about Spurgeon's last words and why they were so important. So uh, let's hit perseverance yeah, very great. quickly. Great, great. Yes, yeah, Spurgeon would say that because faith that God grants us, and especially in the gospel, we know that the Scripture tells us, First Peter 1 says that, 
that, that our faith is given, we're born again by the gift of God, and, and James chapter 1 tells us that our faith comes through the Word of God. I think the powerful thing here is that because it's a, it's a faith granted by God's goodness, it's also a faith that is sustained by God's goodness. God doesn't lead anyone halfway in salvation. He brings us all the way, and the Scripture tells us it is an eternal salvation. So there's a whole chapter on that in the book. I want people to grab it, read it, and be inspired and blessed by that. Uh, but Spurgeon's final words, so his final words in this particular resource, I've retained them as they were written by Spurgeon, were, he says, Reader, meet me in heaven. Mm. And that is, that's the bold thrust and the desire of Charles Spurgeon. Now, of course, he went on to, to be with the Lord in the, in the 1890s, so well over 100 and 120, 130 years ago mm. now. And Spurgeon's in glory. He's with Jesus. He's with all the heroes of the faith. He's, he's having, of course, the greatest time. And he wants us, not necessarily because we need this book, but just through the simple gospel of truth, the gospel of God's grace, to meet Spurgeon in heaven. And that's, that's my heart as well, Greg. There are many people that will read this book that I'll never have a chance or privilege to meet here in this world, although by all means, come visit in Australia. I'd love to, I'd love to do that. Uh, but of course, you know, in heaven is where we can gather. And, and, and I believe that there are, there are tens of thousands of people in heaven right now that will say Spurgeon was a wonderful gift that God used to bring me to faith. And I hope that this resource that, that I've now produced, you know, in modern times, will, will do much the same. And, and we're praying, of course, that God would be pleased to, to allow that to happen. Well, amen. Uh, look, that's that's a lot of gospel in, a, in just a few moments. Uh, Craig Ireland joins <laughs> yeah. us. Uh, his book is By Grace Alone, a revision of the 19th century classic by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, his book All of Grace, and uh, now revised, contemporized, and known uh, under Craig Ireland as By Grace Alone. And we do hope that you'll find it. It's available wherever books are sold. And if you missed the earlier parts of this conversation, go back and catch them on our podcast there at our website or on your favorite platform. Uh, Craig, we appreciate you so much calling us early in the morning from Australia to take a few moments and visit with us. Thank you, my friend, and we'll look forward to doing it again. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. You have a blessed day. Thank you. God bless you.